listening to the Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is AJ Sharp and for the next 30 minutes we're going to be talking all things food and drink. Uh, Susie is still on holiday and I'm joined by the lovely Charlotte Pike who is guest presenting for us for a few weeks. Charlotte, as we know, is a professionally trained chef, flavour consultant, author of several award-winning cookery books. Welcome again, it's really nice to have you on the show. Thank you so much, great to be here. Uh, Charlotte also runs a pop-up cookery school called Field and Fork School so I think she's going to have lots to compare notes and chat with with our lovely guest today who is Sophie Gregson. For those of you who don't know Sophie, she's a celebrity TV chef. She's written hundreds of cookery books, award-winning cookery books. She's written for lots and lots of national publications. But you now live in Italy. What, what was the point where you moved to Italy? I, I had um, I had a kind of a light bulb moment. I mean, it really was as simple as that. I was, I was meant to be working. I was procrastinating and looking at other bits and bits and bobs on the internet. And I found a story about a town in the north of Puglia where they were paying people to move there because because the population was decreasing. And I just, you know, that was that was the second I made the decision. That was it. So where- I thought, I'm going to move. I love it. Where, uh, where is Puglia? Whereabouts in Italy? So Puglia is the heel of Italy. So it's right at the bottom. Um, and it's just, it's the heel. It's the heel of the boot. Um, so I, I did, I did actually go and see this town. And two weeks later, I was in the town and um, took my children there because they thought their mother was totally bonkers. Um, and wasn't the right place for me. But it made me realise that I did really want to move to Puglia. So I came back sold everything, packed my car to the hilt and um, and drove south. And that was that was it really. It was, it was really it was it was one of the best decisions I've ever made and it was made without any thought to the practicalities, I'm afraid. It sounds like you had a bit of a Gerard Durrell moment where his mother packed up and moved to, uh, was it Corfu she moved to? It just was, changed it? her whole life and had this magical adventure. It sounds like something like that. I mean, yes, it is a bit. I mean, you know, I'm so glad I did it. When I look back, I can see that there, there are reasons. I was kind of bored with what I was doing. I had a very nice life. Uh, I lived in Oxford, which was lovely. My kids were growing up, doing their things. And it was just the right moment. And I, and I am a big believer in, you know, when opportunity comes along, you should grab it and try it and see what happens. Life's so much more interesting like that. I'm really struck listening to you say that, Sophie. I mean, it's such a sort of brave, adventurous and really inspiring uh, way to just sort of, you know, shake things up. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, it's funny, lots of people say that's very brave. And actually, I never thought of it as being brave. Adventurous, yes, I needed, you know, I was at a point in my life where I needed an adventure. And, I, and, uh, and I've always loved travel. And I've always loved Italy. I've travelled around Italy a lot. But I was, I, yeah, so it was just this wonderful, big adventure. The hardest bits were... Well, one of the hardest bits was getting rid of all my cookery book collection. 
No. That was so tough. Sizable, I imagine. <laughs> it was. There were a lot. I didn't actually count them, but there were a lot, a lot, a lot. I'm getting rid of those and so I'm deciding which ones were in my capsule collection, the ones I just kept uh, to bring with me. It was very tough. And I got rid of a lot of books I love, but I thought, no, I've got to do this proper. But it, it must have been a food that, that drew you to Italy. Is that right? Because that's been your sort of life passion, hasn't it? Yeah, but it's not just the food. I mean, I've I've I fell in love with Italy before you know, I started writing about food, and it's um, I fell in love with Italy when I was about nineteen. And oddly enough, the first place that I stepped onto Italian soil was in Puglia after after backpacking as a nineteen-year-old. Oh, wow. um, and we went to Greece, and then we took the overnight ferry from Greece to Brindisi in, in Puglia. Uh, you know, it's, it's not, I mean, the food is very important. People talk about food endlessly here. That's always very, makes life very nice and easy. Um, <laughs> but it's also, it's the light. It's one of the things I just love. That sort of luminous, bright light. I mean, even looking out today, it's not particularly warm, but the light just has this amazing clarity. It's, there's something about it. Um, but the buildings, the people, culture, you know, the whole, the whole, the whole bundle there is. So how did you find settling into your new life in Italy? I mean, I've been fortunate to have lived in a couple of foreign countries and it, it is always, I think, sometimes quite an experience sort of actually getting settled and dealing with the practicalities of actually setting up a life abroad, you know, a bank account, all of these things can be <laughs> such a challenge. How was the experience for you? Oh, you are so right. Those little challenges. And, and Italians are notorious for their bureaucracy. And the stacks of paper, I mean, they really, I love you Italians, I love you town hall, but they really haven't got the hang of computers yet. No, and the, the queuing and, with a specific window of time, you know, for an appointment. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm trying to work out how that is, especially when I first arrived. I mean, I knew that everything closed down for lunchtime, so at least I didn't have to... You know, get over that thing. I think for a lot of people who moved to Italy, from the UK, from America, from wherever, just find really hard to deal with. You know, one o'clock, everything closes, nothing opens again until 4, 4.30. And that, but that includes any office where you need to do anything um, bureaucratic. Anyway, you get through these things. And luckily, and maybe it's partly because of the age around, maybe it's just me, I'm quite good at just saying, sighing and saying that's how it is and you just have to be patient and you have to you can't change it no certainly not and I think I think anyone who's ever moved house can really attest to how stressful it is just to move house within the in your own country let alone I just moved house in October and honestly I I think I lost my mind for at least a month it's just (laughs) it's awful I mean I used to be an army wife I think we moved probably 10 times in 10 years but um it still never gets any easier, does it? And and how is your Italian? Because, you know, I, <laughs> that just adds a whole other dimension. Is, it's not great, but it's not totally useless. So I did a million, million years ago when I was in my early 20s, I did initially a, a short course, but a short, intense course in Italian. And that has stood me in very good stead. And it's so much easier to learn when you're young. Uh, so I learned a lot on that course, and I've travelled a lot, so I've sort of spoken bits and pieces of that. And quite a lot of that did come back. But learning new words, oh, God, so difficult. So difficult. I promise. And what did I learn the other day? That was, oh, I've forgotten it. 
I think I thought I'd learned a new word and I'd take it. Oh, uh, no, I'm not sure I can say that on a, or a plate. Oh, just say it. I, Susie won't care. I learned the word, but I can't remember it. I'm going to have to look it up. I learned the word fart. No, I don't know that in Italian, actually. I'm going to look it up as well. It's something like, oh, I can't, see, I, I've got it written down somewhere because I thought it was, you, know, you never know when you might need it. Absolutely. Indeed. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but food words, uh, I was already pretty good on food in, in Italian. So I've added to it, I can discuss food in Italian. Which uh, is kind of really all you need to do to get, to get a conversation going here. I think that's interesting because um, Italian isn't one of my languages, but I think with an interest in food and sort of, uh, you know, American names of, uh, you know, things that you pick up from reading cookery books, actually, you, 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 one often knows more than yeah. one realises, you know, um, through the world of food. Yeah, I think that's true. And it is one of the great, I think about uh, when you travel, and I realised this very early on when I started writing about food and I like travel, you know, food is such a great connector between people. If you're interested, you show interest in people's food, whether even if it's just in a restaurant and talking to waiters, um, uh, or if it's just somebody in the market or whatever, you know, people connect over food. And particularly in countries like Italy, where people are fiercely proud of their food. I mean, I'm fiercely proud of their local food, not just uh, Italian food, but the, it's very, very regional. There um, is that and... regional pride, isn't there? Where you, oh, you know, God. this pasta comes from my region, or this cheese is specially done in my region, so much better than that region over there. It's. Yeah, I mean, I have to say something. Mine so much better is local tosh, but uh, but I had I had a lovely uh, little exchange a couple of years ago. I was in the ne- next door town, Ostuni, which is one of the more famous than where I live. Beautiful town, a, a white town, not far from the sea. And I was in a park, they're sitting in a cafe that I particularly like. And I started talking to this elderly gentleman who turns out was the owner. I mentioned that I lived in Chile in Africa and he said, their meatballs are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, well, yeah, why, why is that? Well, they make them too small. Too small, so they so they're too dry because they're too small. Uh, and he then made his poor wife go and cook me a plate of Ostuni meatballs, which were very good. Anyway, and then I came back and I talked to my downstairs neighbour, who is a fantastic cook and has taught me a lot. And I mentioned this to him. I said, oh, Ostunese. People are Ostunese. They know nothing. They <laughs> make their meatballs too big. The reason we have ours little is to get a really good combination of the crisp outside and tender inside. I love that. Yeah, it's lovely. That's it's lovely. so. That's so Italian. That's isn't amazing. It? And what's your sort of um, experiences like in terms of shopping for food? Because I mean, what's really interesting, I think, about Italy is not only the regional element, but how the supermarkets haven't quite made the impact they have had in other European countries in Italy. Where do you shop, and how does that look for you? I shop mainly mainly in my local. The, the town I live in is quite a small town. It's just, I think, just under the 20,000 mark. Um, and uh, so we have a, a very good uh, weekly market, which I shop at if I can, and it's lovely. Lots of local produce. And you also get sort of small local producers as well, little stalls, which I love. You may sell out quite early. One of the things I love about Italy, and uh, living in a town in Italy, is every area has its own set of small shops. Mm. Um, Independent. So I have a... In little, I have a very good butcher, really, literally, sort of 
10 yards from my from my door. Round the corner, there's the, the deli where I can get cheese and uh, wonderful cheese, wonderful hams, uh, and a whole host of other things. You know, then there's a brilliant green grocer's just five minutes walk away, five, ten minutes walk. So all of that is on hand and it's and they're used they're really used and that's lovely so supermarkets there are everywhere has supermarkets but they have not done away with the independence it's a different balance here which i really appreciate so we still have lots of different small shops or hardware shops or clothes shops it really feels doesn't it when you're in france or italy or you know a lot of these lovely european countries that are so close to us that the joy of shopping has not been lost whereas in the uk we have this sort of attitude and culture of being very time poor of being very very busy everyone loves to be busy and we all talk about how busy we are and shopping has been made whether it's by marketing or by virtue of the fact that it is quite painful at times a painful thing for us to do doesn't it you you want to click and collect because you don't want to go into a supermarket because it's ghastly and overwhelming quite often well I think it's interesting isn't it I mean you mentioned Sophie that's really interesting it's a real sort of micro producers Mm. initially I mean I was in Tuscany for a couple of weeks in the summer and you know going to the market you'd get the mother and the son who had grown the vegetables in their garden and had the market stall and they'd run out of potatoes and so I said do you have any more and they said no but I'll just get in the car where are you staying and and then an hour later he appeared with a bag of potatoes potatoes at the house you know because it's all such a small ecosystem and it matters it matters you needed potatoes he could help so he did brilliant and that kind of culture of of helping and actually enjoying that process of choosing things I think is we've lost it in the UK and it sounds like you're you're living it uh, in Puglia Uh, right yes and and I'm very lucky and I but you know here as well I live small town life. I'm not living a city life. I'm not living, you know, it's not a very sophisticated area in many ways. But one of the things that you, you really notice is that shopping, be it in uh, the local shops in town or at the market, is also it's a social event as mm. well. So it's about connecting with people. It's not just about get, getting something put in your stomach. It's uh, people come in, they talk, they chat, people know each other. I love it here. You know, every year people, I walk past shops, oh, ciao Sophia, ciao Sophia. That's such a joy. And it's so exciting when, you know, I, I know when I when I arrived here, when people began to say, hi Sophie, ciao Sophia. Oh. Um, as I walk past, I think, oh, that's so nice. Mm. That's so nice. But it is, it is very much, it is, you know, it's about sociability. And it's about people connecting with each other. And you see a lot of the, the the old the old ladies, the old gents, and they do, you know, for them this is part of their life. They don't have, they don't seem to have such big. I, I mean, I, I say this purely as an anecdotal, so I, there's no, I can't back it up with any any statistics. But I would have said that, that probably the elderly do not get so lonely. Mm. They don't. Um, because even if they don't have huge amounts of family popping in all the time, they probably do. But even if they don't, they just will go to the butchers and buy two hundred grams of minced beef. So yeah. they get to chat to somebody, get out. Yeah, so what a good. difference! Mm. And there's that seasonality, isn't there? Where in the UK we're getting better, and I really think there are a lot of shops and independent re- fine food retailers who are working really hard to do this, and definitely not taking anything away from them, but. 
there is a bit of an idea that you've got strawberries and you know tomatoes in December and nobody bats an eyelid at that and they're there's not the excitement that you're probably experiencing of really fresh things that are coming into season and they are absolutely, you know, you don't buy the nectarines this week, you buy them next week because it's the moment and, and, and things like that that I think are just so exciting and thrilling, especially as a chef or, you know, I'm, I'm a wannabe chef, but it's thrilling to cook with really, really good produce, isn't yeah. it? It is wonderful, but you know, and yes, and seasonality is terrifically important. People look forward to what's coming in. They'll talk about it. We're at the moment in February, so we're, you know, artichokes are big. Uh, there's kind of green vegetables. They, they love the leafy green vegetables down here. They're, oh, they're, they're just so delicious, aren't they? But you know, it's not just this sort of seasonality paradise where people waft around with nice baskets. I mean, it's it's a real. I think people do go and buy tomatoes, not seasonal. Uh, so it's not obsessively purist, but on the other hand, people know the seasons, they look forward to things. We're just coming up to the wild asparagus season, and, and that's something that people get very excited about. So is this a kind of really fine asparagus? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's very very thin. It doesn't look mm. at all. When it grows, I mean, it does, it does look like a sprout. Mm-hmm. When it grows, it doesn't grow like ordinary asparagus. It's a much more sort of rambly plant. Yeah. And I always remember that the, when COVID struck. And we had our first lockdown here. Was the lockdown, I think, started on March the 6th. And we were only, all remember, this is a long time ago, thank heavens, we were only allowed out for, you know, necessities. Mm. And obviously for Italians, going and picking wild asparagus was a necessity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had, ba- I had a bag of wild asparagus on my door handle left me by somebody I knew. <laughs> um, there was plenty, let me just say, there was a lot of wild asparagus going around. So that's it. So that's how I know you know, you're heading towards March. That's when the wild asparagus season gets going. Mm, wonderful. Sophie, it's great to see you back writing. Yeah. Yeah, because I hadn't, I didn't really run. I kind of run out of things to write about, to be honest. I mean, how many um, books have you actually written? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, it's a lot I when think... when you lose count. Lost count at about 200. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think it's about 20. I mean, it depends how you define written as well. I mean, I've, you know, I've, yeah. because some of them will come out and be sort of mash-ups, mash-ups of, of older books. So I, I don't really count those. So it's better, let's say around 20, that'll be. Yeah. But I had, I mean, I have to say I had, before I came here, I more or less stopped writing because I, you know, there's, there's only so many times you can do another article. Oh, in three months' time, six months' time, it's going to be June. Do another article on strawberries with a twist. Oh, no, 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 not again. Yeah. I kind of, you know, I've been at it for several decades. And I just kind of didn't really have the enthusiasm to say that again. So coming down here was great because suddenly I was thinking, yes, this is really interesting. I've got all this lovely food I'm discovering. I'm showing how Koreans cook. There are vegetables here which I have never seen before in my life, which is quite surprising as well. Mm. Um, and I'm discovering, you know, it is it is Italian food, but it's Korean food. And so Korean is, you know, it obviously is Italian, but it's very much the food of this area and of the history of this area as well. So I've, I've really, I've been really enjoying unraveling that a little bit and waging my way through the rivalries between various different towns. And oh my God, the names as well. I, I'm writing a new book at the moment where I'm traveling from Puglia through Basilicata and Calabria, the sort of bottom three 
the, the, the insole of, of the Italian <laughs> yeah, it's so lovely. And you know, you'll get the same dish with different names, various other names, obviously Ciambotto, Ciambotto. I found there, and I thought I'd found, I was doing pre-research for meal, and I thought I'd found three different dishes. It turned out they were all basically the same one. Wow. And this lovely one is also called Zimbotto. Um, Zimbotto, uh, I, I mean, just like, a whole collection is essentially the same dish and they very because dialect is such a big thing down here everywhere has its own dialect that's amazing and, um, yeah have you noticed so, your cooking obviously the sourcing of the actual veg you know the produce that you're using has changed enormously by being in Puglia but has it changed the actual kind of mechanics of your cooking style and things have you have you learned new techniques and new styles and things like that yeah well yes I have Cherry tomatoes, so that's the thing, you know, I don't know, it's an odd thing to say cherry tomatoes. In Puglia and throughout the south of Italy, cherry tomatoes are cooking tomatoes. Wow. Now, it's not, well, in the UK, we think of them as kind of salad tomatoes. Here, they are used in cooking. The salad tomatoes are like bigger, slightly greenish, crisper thing. I mean, they do eat salads, but... but not so much. And when I started looking at Puglian recipes and talking to people, you'd have a recipe for four people where there'd be 10 cherry tomatoes. I mean, there must be more than that. It must be a type of maybe it needs 100 grams. But it, it isn't. And they use very often almost as a seasoning. So they just bring about a little balance of acidity and sweetness and flavor to a dish without making it overtly tomatoey. It's not, it's not like a big tomato sauce. So that is a technique I've really taken to because it does make a big difference. So there are techniques like that, which I, I now, I now, so I do, or, oh, I'll tell you the other, this is a really basic one, which I'd sort of come across before, but I now do all the time, is if you're going to fry something, fry, you know, particularly your vegetables for the base for a stew or whatever, your sofrito, you put everything into the pan, you have your, your frying pan on the table beside you as you're chopping, and you put it all into the pan, your onions, your garlic, wherever else, that, that's basically, and the olive oil in coal, and then you put the pan on the heat. Interesting. Uh, and, you know, that's so much the opposite of what we, we are taught as we grow up and what we learn as we grow up in the UK, where you get that, the oil hot and then you add everything. So that's, and actually it's very good. Makes very complete good. sense. It, it makes complete sense and it's it works. Mm. And obviously the garlic doesn't burn either. Well, exactly. And so, you know, there are little techniques like that which I'm learning and which I take on it. And it just, it, it's now it seems to be like a normal thing. Before I would have thought that was really, really weird. That's amazing. Because it is a good thing about food, though, isn't it? I mean, sorry, you must know this. The more you learn, the more you realise there is to learn. And you're always learning, you know, even when you think you're quite good at something, you can learn new techniques. There's always space. And it's often those little, those very little things that make the difference, not the big grand stuff. I was just thinking the exact same thing because it's actually those sort of subtleties with technique that actually really do give you such a huge difference in terms of overall flavour. I mean, the example you've just given with the onions as sofrito and cold oil is perfect because you just get the, you know, sweetness and lovely tender texture. And, you know, those subtleties, I think, one is always sort of uh, looking for ways Mm. to sort of elevate your food. And actually that's where you will make... 
it's kind of the biggest breakthroughs in terms of being a, a better cook, I think, a lot of the time. Yeah, totally, totally. And it goes, I, and it's, it's just very satisfying with a little thing like that. And you think, oh, yeah, yeah, I think it makes sense. Mm. It doesn't make a massive difference, but it just improves. Yeah, it doesn't just, just gives you more pleasure when you sit down to eat in the end. I mean, that's, that's the key thing, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, so I love learning those kind of little, little things. And I've, you know, I've been saying, okay, I, I live above a wonderful cook, downstairs Maria. Downstairs um, Maria, fantastic. Downstairs Maria. Sometimes, especially in the summer when all the doors are open, I hear this shout from downstairs, Sophia, Sophia, Shendi, Shendi, Sophia, Sophia, come downstairs. <laughs> I know now that this is not an order to be disobeyed. I have to say, you know, downstairs. And it usually means there's a plate of food. She's got extra whatever she's cooking. And, you know, it's thrust in my hand. And she, you know, I have learned a lot from her. And she's introduced me to some of my favourite Julian recipes. Last year, we made a TV series here. We filmed, and Maria is a fairly major star in it. <laughs> Downstairs, Maria. Uh, and she's great. She's, she's very funny. And she, she cooks like a dream. That's amazing. Uh, she makes one of the first things I had from her when I moved into my house was, was a kind of green pepper, but a small pointy one. And they're called fichitelli, so they're frying. And you cook them, and it's with tomato and basil, and maybe a little bit of chili, and lots of olive oil. Wow! Um, and just one of those great summer dishes that you can just have as a side dish. You can have a cup of antipasti. You can even toss it with pasta. It's, oh, it sounds amazing! Yeah. So, can we expect well, to find out more in your next book? Uh, that one's in my last book. Oh. So I've, I've, I produced. Uh, yeah, that was because that was one of the first recipes I wrote down from her. Can I just name check my last book? Yes, yes please. Curious please. absence of chicken. A curious absence of chicken. A curious absence of chicken. And where can our listeners find that? Any good bookshop, I would think. <laughs> only um, only I the would good hope. ones. <laughs> uh, well, possibly, hopefully some of the bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> and Amazon and all of those places, but independent bookshops. Highly recommended. Highly Go recommended. Go to the independent ones if you can. Yeah. Uh, paperback and hardback. And it was called that, oddly, because it's a slightly odd title, because after I'd been here about three months, and particularly when I first came, I, I was just living in Airbnb, I ate out a lot because I didn't have anywhere to cook. And I realised after a month or two that you almost never see chicken on a menu in Puglia. Wow. You do occasionally, but it's very rare. And it was just you know, and again, coming from the UK where chicken is... Everywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere. It's kind of weird. Why not? I like, it took me a long time working out. And I think I've worked it out. Um, I think it's because in the past, if you had chicken... I mean, Puglia was a very, very deprived area. It was a really poor area. Phenomenally so. Um, and in the, past, so in the past, if you had chicken... You might, if they were laying eggs, you were not going to kill them and eat them because the eggs were far more valuable as a source of protein that didn't cost you much. And you would only kill a chicken for a very special event, like the feast of the yeah, Like a wedding or something, village, yeah. Or for a wedding or something really, really important like that. So there just isn't a big tradition of cooking chicken. Wow. I think that's why. That's my analysis anyway. 
unbelievably we're out of time we've been having the best time talking to you sophie we talk for hours we could talk for hours but thank you so much thank you so much for coming on um you've been listening oh thank you you've been listening to the food talk show which is syndicated to radio stations across the uk and further afield as well as being available on audible spotify podbean itunes and the podcast app on your phone don't forget we're on podcast radio too thank you so much to my fellow presenter charlotte pike and to our lovely guest sophie grigson thank you who's called in from puglia Uh, we'll make sure we upload uh, some links on our website to sophie's book and some of the other things we've discussed today and if you want to syndicate our lovely program for free on your radio station then please just get in touch with us on hello at foodtalk.co.uk we are available through lots of different radio stations around the uk but 30 percent of our listeners are in america and so hi to all of them and if you want to listen to any of our podcasts just go to uh, foodtalk.co.uk and you can listen to anything from tequila to cheese making to snail farming and beekeeping have a really great week bye